Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast, where we talk about everything from Gunpla to the anime series, OVAs and movies, Gundam music, Gundam lore, concepts, ideas, and anything and everything that is related to Mobile Suit Gundam. That's right, Isaac, and today we are finishing off our review of your favorite series, Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory. Ah, it's bittersweet to end it because it was so well done, it's so beautiful to look at, but it's got to come to an end because it's really just a side story. (laughs) (laughs) It came to a fiery end, Isaac. I feel like uh, a lot happened in this back half. I didn't remember how much happened in this back half. Not maybe necessarily in terms of like action, but just in terms of everything being revealed and there were conspiracies upon conspiracies and there were backstabbings and and a lot of it is like uh, it's not told necessarily super explicitly. You have to do a lot of thinking. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, even after the series, you had to do a little bit of, like, reading to figure out, well, what happened to so-and-so? <laughs> That's <laughs> true, know? yes. So, or, or maybe to dig a little deeper into the facts of, wait, why did that mobile suit show up out of nowhere and blah, blah, blah. Right. You right. know, so. All right, so I'm going to attempt to do a very high-level summary of this back half. Ooh, there's a lot of battles, a lot of uh, little happenings, but I think you can do it, Brian. Give it your best shot. All right, this is a very high-level summary, but as we left off, Isaac, in Episode 7, Ko had just defeated the Valvaro, Kelly Lazner on, uh, on Luna on the moon. So we pick up, I mean, sort of like, I'll say, a transitional episode, I think it's Episode 8, where the Albion stumbles upon the Shima fleet, meeting with the Birmingham Admiral Green Wyatt is his name. I never bothered to look him up before now, but so the Albion accidentally sort of runs into Shima trying to meet with this dude to pass on some information on uh, Operation Stardust, which is your first hint that Shima perhaps has some ulterior motives here. You know what? I preferred my name for this guy. Was he the guy at Solomon? He was, yes, yes. Okay, I preferred my name, Admiral Earl Grey. It sounds so much better because yes. every time we see him, he's drinking tea. <laughs> And just like Earl Grey, he was boiled. <laughs> Zing. That's a nuclear joke for all you fans of of super weapon attacks. <laughs> oh. So uh, also in this episode, Lieutenant Burning dies at, right as he's about Aww. to reveal. He, he finds this, uh, you know, a suitcase full of the Operation Stardust um, details. And, and right before he's, he's able to reveal it, he, he perishes. His, his suit had been damaged in the battle. And he dies. So big, big tragedy there. This man has the eyes of a hawk because in the wreckage of one of Shima's Musai's, he was able to realize there was a dead officer with a briefcase (laughs) handcuffed to his wrist. (laughs) And then he thought, well, there must be something important in the briefcase. Let me mid-battle get out of my mobile suit, go over there, and then see what's in the briefcase. And that's how he found... (laughs) plans to to start us but he's on the short list of pilots where like his mobile suit was damaged and then he went on for like a good five minutes yeah before <laughs> something happened in the reactor or whatever and then it detonated <laughs> that almost never happens with mobile suits it's either they're fine and they can make it back to the ship or w- whatever damage they took they explode within seconds <laughs> yeah the craftsmanship <laughs> on his gym custom was either really great or really bad, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, it's just, it was fate. (laughs) Uh, So in the next episode, Isaac, we get to one of the meteor episodes of the series. 
Gato ends up nuking the Naval Review, taking out, I think, was it two-thirds of their fleet or something like that? Yeah. And in that same episode, or, or shortly thereafter, Gato and Co. duke it out, Unit 1 versus Unit 2. So they sort of defeat each other by death of a, a thousand cuts on each side. We, so we lose Unit 1, Unit 2, Isaac. So now we, we need our mid-season replacements. Yeah. Uh, if Unit 2 didn't get damaged from the nuclear explosion, you think Gato would have beaten him? Uh, Yeah. Wow. I'd say he still had the upper hand in that battle, and, like, one of his arms wasn't working. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Unit 2, to me, wasn't even really that much of, a like, a combat suit. It was made to drop that nuke. Yeah. In Gato's hands, though, it, it made pretty quick work trying to escape from Australia of anyone that fought oh, it. Oh, absolutely. So. <laughs> I mean, it's still a Gundam after all, right? So Yeah. So shortly after that, the, the true intention of Operation Stardust is revealed to be a colony drop, Isaac. Right. At, at this point, our friend Cohen... His influence has, is now neutered by Admiral Colony and Jamatov Hyman, who are basically our headline conspirators in this show, as it's revealed in this back half, slowly. Yeah, and just to pound in that they're, you know, evil masterminds, Admiral, what's his name, Comey? I think it's Colony, but it could be Colony, and it could be a, a play on the fact that a Colony drop is involved. I know it's either Colony or Colony. Huh. We'll go with colony, colony. because I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think it's colony. The guy's such an ass, he's like a colon. <laughs> and also, uh, it can't sound like a colony, so we'll go with colon. Yeah, yeah. And just to pound in that he's a mastermind, he's got a white cat. Yes, yes. The- <laughs> a white Persian cat, <laughs> like a Bond villain. <laughs> the wiki makes a big point about that, saying that like the first time you see him, he has the cat, and, it, and it's like a Godfather reference, I think. I don't know. I don't think the mafia would ever drop colonies <laughs> or be involved in conspiracies with enemies of the country, but sure. Spelled with a C. Yeah, so C-O-L-I-N-Y. Huh. Could be colony, which is weird because they don't really say his name in the show. No, you, I wish they did. Right. We have no idea. who We know who Jamatov is. Right. And of course, he's being annoying, but uh, we don't know. We don't know who this other guy that he's seemingly answering to, right? Correct, yeah. At, at this time, Jamatov yeah. seems to be under this guy. Yeah. He's always seated down. So, uh, you know, the, these guys have kind of neutered Mr. Cohen's influence here. And because Cohen's no, no longer has any power, the Albion is going to get even less support. So the Albion still wants to go after the colony, even though they've been ordered to like not go after the colony, Isaac, which tips you off as a viewer that, hey, there, something's going on here. Like, all is not right. So Synapse wants to, Captain Synapse of the Albion, he wants to go get uh, Gundam Unit 3 from the Levian Rose Anaheim ship. So it's basically like a, a portable Anaheim electronics, right? Right, yeah. It's half research center, half it's like maintenance center, and uh, lab and even, I guess, partial factory, right? Because I assume those arms are there for more than just holding onto ships. You know, they can maybe assemble stuff and yeah, all that. Yeah, it seems pretty sophisticated. So to keep it short, I mean, the Albion goes to the Levian Rose. They steal Gundam Unit 3 against orders, which becomes very important later on, alluding to what you said earlier, Isaac, about reading what happens after the show. Yeah. But however, spoilers, <laughs> it doesn't really work out. The, the colony passes the point of no return. Um, the colony falls. And during all this, Shima betrays the laws, but is killed by Ko. And Gato and Ko duke it out. Gato gets a new mobile armor from the Axis fleet secretly, even though the Axis fleet is supposed to be neutral, Isaac. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Gato does die at the end. He runs out of luck, essentially. And, and he, he's just up against a 
too much of a compelling force at the end. Ko, however, lives, but he is sentenced to one year of hard labor, and Admiral Colony, Jamatov, Hyman, and Baskom use this event to say, look, all you know, this is going to happen all the time. There's a lot of risks out there to Earth. We need to hunt these people down and they create if only it could have been stopped <laughs> yeah if only if only uh so they use this this quote failure with this sort of manufactured failure to create the titans which is the oppressive version of the federation that we see as the antagonists in uh, mobile suit zeta gundam so the show then completes its purpose which is to fill in the gap between 0079 and zeta gundam and at the very end as sort of the epilogue we find out that all records of the Gundam development project, which means Unit 1, Unit 2, Unit 3, and I guess technically Unit 0 and Unit 4, if you include the expanded stuff, um, they are all deleted. Ko ends up getting freed because of that. His infractions, since they related to the Gundam development project, they've been, which has been now yeah. been removed, therefore his infraction has been removed, I suppose. So that's the back half in, in five minutes. There's obviously a lot that went in there, but uh, that, that's the highlight. Man, what a ride. I think it drags a little bit around La Vie en Rose, but that was still sort of a necessary step to get him the Dendrobium, Unit 3, mm-hmm. to really hammer home that the Albion was uh, not supposed to leave La Vie en Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made it very clear that you should stop pursuing the colony, which is an odd uh, order, you know? Yeah, I mean, man, that officer at Levion Rose, he will follow orders to, like, the letter. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nakato or Nakato, whatever his name was. Yeah. He was a jerk. He was yet another person who goes to the Bascom School of Terribleness. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, oh, he would have been a great Titan. <laughs> he, he pro- actually, he lived. He might go on to become I one. think we he was know. probably a high-ranking Titans officer for at least a few years. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they look down on him for like, well, you couldn't even hold a ship. You know, what can we count on you to do? So, uh, Isaac, my first observation here was that episode eight has probably our favorite opening, Men of Destiny. Yeah, yeah. It hits you with a bang, right? Love that one. Yeah. I uh, tried not to skip it as much as possible in this back half. So, if listeners, if you've never yeah. heard Men of Destiny, never watched the show, at least go watch the opening. That's a, that's a great opening. You got to see Angry Ko's face just, <laughs> just, just grimacing inside Rah! his helmet. <laughs> Yeah, this series had two great intro songs. Yeah, two fantastic ones. Hard to pick one over the other. I think I would prefer Men and Destiny, but wouldn't blame anyone for picking the winner either. Yeah, it definitely has more of a pump to it. But man, what a great series overall. What stuck out to you in this last half as far as like things you really liked or things maybe that you didn't care much for? Well, the action was great. You know, the, yeah. the animation and the mech design continued to be spectacular. We didn't get a whole lot of new mecha in the back, but the ones we did get were great, I thought. We got the Noiseal, uh, the Gabura Tetra, and the Unit 3 with the both the uh, the Dendrobium Orcus, uh, which is the mobile armor, and the Stamen, which is just the suit. Those three were great. I think what I liked the most, Isaac, about the back half was having enough Gundam knowledge... <laughs> to follow the conspiracy and figure it out. It was not overly explained to the viewer, which makes it a little bit difficult if you only watch this the first time. But I think if you go back and watch it again, there's enough there that they do explain it, but you do have to pay attention. And I'm fine with that. I understand maybe someone wouldn't like it, but I I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, God, no. The first time you watch this, you're just a deer in the headlights, you know? Especially 
watching it the first time as your first Gundam series. Yeah, yeah that'd be. Dare yeah. I say? I, I'd even go. Yeah, I'd even go further and say, don't you dare recommend this as a first Gundam series for somebody, because so much of the context will be over their heads. Yeah, it's cool space battles, but yeah, I don't think they would understand the significance of of the conspiracy and all the players and all their motivations. Yeah, it'd only be like, well, pretty battle. That'd be the only reason you chose somebody. But other than that, no. The, show them Iron Blood Orphans or something else. But anyways, as far as the actual workings of the plot itself, even afterwards, you have to kind of scratch your head at some of the things. You know, why did, why was the target not Jabberell? And then, you know, Gato kind of explains it offhand, but it would have been better, I think, if maybe that was something Delaz discussed way beforehand or throughout the series. Mm-hmm. What else? The whole plot with the... The Titans, that that could have maybe been hinted at better with Jamatov and the Admiral. Then again, maybe they couldn't do it too much because it would reveal what Shima was up to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that delicate balance of like, how much do you telegraph the conspiracy? Right. I think the problem there, Isaac, is if Jamatov shows up, well, we already know most viewers of this is, have already, especially at the time, would have already seen Zeta Gundam. They know who Jamatov right. is, so if he shows up... Well, then the cover's blown on that one. Let me know if I counted this correctly. I think there's at least three conspiracies happening here. <laughs> it's a conspiracy pile. Uh, yeah, All right, I was go. trying to break it down. So the first conspiracy is from the Anaheim guy. His name, it turns out, is O'Sullivan. Okay. I don't think they say his name either in the show. No, we wish we did, but he's just corrupt Anaheim guy. He is demonstrating that Anaheim plays both sides, right? He's he's providing Unit 4, or which becomes the Gabura Tetra, to Shima, but he's also providing the Unit 1 upgrade parts and working on Unit 3 for the Federation. Those organizations are at war, literally. Like That's what Anaheim does. So this guy is a conspirator. Um, he has his own goals, though. A point here on him, though, Isaac, is at the end, at the very end, we see him dead... Uh, shot dead on his desk with a gun in his hand, implying that he killed himself. However, I don't think he killed himself, given that he was already playing both sides. To me, he would always have an exit plan. He wouldn't just kill himself. He would have been prepared for this scenario where he was found out. The wiki does correctly also point out that the look on his face when he's dead is one of, like, sort of anguish or, like, fear, implying that someone shot him you know, assassinated him and then put a gun in his hand to make it look like he did it. Yeah, I was curious about your input on that, and I'm glad you just laid it out for me. You could argue that he killed himself for some reason, but like you just said, that doesn't really hold up under how things were going. <laughs> no, not based on his character, his actions. So I think this is Jamatov cleaning house. Absolutely, yeah. I, I assume Basque was involved since that's his little, uh, his little right. attack dog. So continue the conspiracy count. <laughs> That's one. The second conspirator is Shima. My understanding, Isaac, is that Shima, given her past, she's not necessarily fully committed to Zeon. She's sort of been not excommunicated from Zeon, but she's not super welcome there either. So I think this is her opportunity to switch sides and get welcomed back to the Federation and cleared of all problems in exchange for delivering Delaz to Jamatov. Do you think if... Okay, things went according to these conspirators' plan, the, the Titans' conspirators' plan. Would she have been offered a place among the Titans? Or on the one hand, she kind of earned it. On the other hand, I can see them saying, well, we appreciate the help. Here's some money. Go into a corner of the universe and never come back because at the end of the day, you're still a space noid. Um, that's a great question. I hadn't thought of that. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with we would have seen Titan Shima and it would have been pretty badass. I think they would have offered her a position and they would have waited to see if she was going to prove herself or they would have just killed her. 
That's true, yeah. I don't see why she would get different treatment than the Anaheim guy. Maybe she had something to offer. I mean, she is a good pilot. She's got a little bit of a fleet. Now, her fleet got kind of decimated, Isaac, so I don't know that she has a whole lot to offer anymore other than Delaz, but, you know. No. Was the Shima fleet destroyed to, like, the last man, or do you think there were still a few Gelgoogs out there and, like, one damaged Musai left? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess that most of them were gone, but I'm sure there were some stragglers. But, I mean, does anyone really matter except the ones that were on the, the little Marlene? And, I mean, that blew up. And um, all of her men on the Guadan yeah. blew up as well. I mean, she she blew up the Guadan herself, right? Right. Well, I mean, they they all died on the bridge when Gado clawed it. But yeah. um, she essentially blew up a, a ship that wasn't full of anybody living, I assume. So you would you would think Titan Shima would be be a thing? No, no, no the more I thought about it now in these last this last minute, uh, at, they would have killed everybody involved to cover up the conspiracy completely. Yeah, because she has knowledge of what they're doing. Yeah, they have to kill her no matter what. Maybe they promised her to place them on the Titans. Maybe they even said, you know, oh, you, you know, we're gonna form the Titans. You don't have to join. You can, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you a mansion on Earth. <laughs> you know, you're gonna have so much money. Oh, it's gonna be great, Shima. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, they they would have killed her. Yeah, I think they offer her a position on the Titans to get her to walk into the room to give her her uniform, and then that's when they shoot her. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. Okay, so those two conspirators down. Okay, and then obviously the third is. Admiral Colony, Jamadov Hyman, and Bascom, hmm. creating this manufactured failure to stop the colony and then using it as a reason to launch the Titans and seize control of, of the Federation government or the Federation military, I'll say. Yeah. I mean, you could almost even put in one more. <laughs> you could put in the, the Lost Fleet because their conspiracy was a conspiracy on its own to just attack and hopefully cause the colonies to rise up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure, yeah. Add the Delaz fleet to the list. So that's at least four. And if there's another one out there, let us know, listeners. Did we miss one? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of conspiracies. Oh, boy. What a what a pileup. It was interesting that they all kind of came together at the end there. It's funny that, you know, Unit 1 and Unit 2 end up duking it out, and then Unit 3 and Unit 4 end up duking it out, too. <laughs> a little poetic, I suppose. To the extent you consider it Unit 4, though. For me, personally... It's uniform in uh, from a certain point of view, but it's very clearly the Gerber Tetra. Yeah, I mean, it got a fresh coat of paint and new armor, so got they rounded it out. Gave, they gave it big shoulder pads. <laughs> Something interesting, Brian. I really want to talk to you about that. I read is, I think this was on the Gundam subreddit, but somebody said, if you think about it, the Shima fleet were kind of heroes in this whole situation. They're fighting to stop the colony alongside the Federation fleet by the solar system. And the Albion, choosing honor over reason, decides to fight the Shima fleet while they're trying to stop the colony. It was a a kind of pointless waste, um, a a misdirected effort. It highlights the the heroes in the Albion as as very foolhardy, stupid, and, and really ignorant of the whole situation and how they really should have not fought the Shima fleet and still worked against the Delaz fleet and, you know, stopping the colony. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that until I actually watched the, the moment when Ko kills Shima. But I guess in the Albion's defense, I don't know that they knew that the Shima fleet had switched sides for that long, did they? I thought they all knew. Like, did, didn't Synapse get pissed? 
after hearing like some announcement from the Federation. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, you're right. You're the right. Shima fleet will be, you know, helping defend the, the solar system or something like that. And like, you know, the, the Albion was like, what? You know, yeah. Synapse was like, no. Or, and, and then they were like, you know what? Screw it. The, 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 they're on their enemies. And the Shima fleet is definitely enemies because we already fought them. They killed Lieutenant Burning. We have to fight them. Yeah. Okay. So, that, I think you're right. Yeah. It was very foolhardy. And so does this kind of improve your view of Shima? She was maybe for the wrong reasons a hero. Well, I, I do think that at the end of the day, even though she was out for herself, she happened to be fighting on the side that was trying to stop the colony, sort of. Although I yeah. still sort of doubt the veracity with which they were trying to stop the colony. Um, but that's a separate sort of huh. issue, I guess. But like, for example... Shima even calls this out. So when she attacks Ko, she attacks Ko primarily because he just blew up the little Marlene and he, then he he blows up another Musai with like that um, demolition chain, which was super cool, yeah. by the way. That was really, they need to bring that back. Right, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And she goes, and she basically decides like, okay, well, I have nowhere, like her little, her wingman is like, oh, you know, we should fall back. And she's like, well, where do you want us to fall back to? Because like all of her stuff's getting blown up. So she just basically decides that she needs to, like, take out Ko because he's, like, killing her mm-hmm. whole fleet. <laughs> and she even asks him, like, what side are you even on right now? And then she gets killed. But, like, she's right, right? Because she's telling yeah. him that, like, hey, I'm, like, by default, sort like, on your side now, even though I'm outwardly Zeon. We're sort of fighting yeah. for the same thing at this point. So, so I agree. I don't know if she's a hero, but she was certainly fighting on the, quote, hero side if, if we had to pick a side yeah I, I would go a step further and say her actions to an extent kind of redeemed her boy this poor woman she's always involved in something involving a colony <laughs> whether it's gassing a colony and she didn't know about it or trying to stop a colony from falling to earth like it could have been like the shima redemption arc in a way but instead she she ends up dying sadly but i, I think at the end of the day if you're fighting to stop a colony from landing on earth and causing unknown amounts of damage and death year by default earning some good points so say what you will about shima's past and the things she did but um that's how she died just trying to stop the colony i guess maybe the other thing in the albion's defense is would you really know who the shima fleet suits were versus the delaz suits um i'm, I'm actually going to say yes because delaz does not have gelguk marines only the shima fleet has gelguk marines and since the albion tangled with them before and I assume they got some very clear instructions from Federation, like, hey, those Galgook Marines, those brown Musais, they're with us. Do not attack them. They're trying to defend the solar system. <laughs> yeah, do you think the Delaz fleet should have been suspicious or more suspicious than they already were of Shima when she painted her all of her ships a different color so that they were easily recognizable as not the same as the rest of the Delaz fleet? <laughs> I don't know. I assume that was like the standard marine color since marines are so rare. Mm. You know, we, this is the only time we've seen brown musais and the only time we've seen Gelgug marines. Yeah. So I think they were just such a small specialized group that it was unchanged since the one year war. And Delaz being desperate just took her in anyways. I mean, he, he seemed very polite. I, I doubt he was rude to her in the same way that um, actually, no, Gato was very polite in person too. It was only when she was out of earshot that he <laughs> say what he really felt about her. Yeah, that snake Shima. <laughs> Man, oh, Shima. So, yeah, she died a hero, more or less, <laughs> into my eyes. <laughs> but speaking of Synapse, Brian, mm. it ends very unresolved about one of the best captains we've ever seen in any series. Yeah. And you need to look up what happened to Captain Synapse. You do, you do. 
Did you find the source for this? Because I did. Oh, no. I I mean, my source was like the wiki, yeah. but not like a specific source. What, what did you find? Okay, so this is the deal, listeners. It's common knowledge that, or at least I feel like it's common knowledge, that everyone knows that Captain Synapse gets sentenced to death and he's executed uh, through a, a court-martial for his actions, basically going against orders. Yeah. However, if you watch the show, it doesn't actually say that. So I, the the question is like, well, how do we know that happened? And the answer right. is, in, there was a, a book published in Japan called 0083 Documenta. And uh, in it, it, uh, it details his, his sentence and the charges uh, against him that he's found guilty of. So they li- actually do list out the charges, and you can find that in a post by Deacon Blues on the Mecha Talk boards back in, like, 2010. So here's, here's the four charges against Captain Snaps. Disobeyed orders to stand by on the Levian Rose. Instigation of using Gundam Unit 3 without permission. Use of his unit under the control of his own authority. In addition, participation in a colony intercept battle executed in Earth's satellite orbit on November 12th to 13th with that unit. And misappropriation of the Albion while under his command as captain. And so for that, he was executed. Man, that's that's a lot of charges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do allude to this. There was one line. I don't remember what episode, but they do show Admiral Colony saying, why was the Albion allowed to take Unit 3? And then the scene just cuts. But I guess you're supposed to read into that that he's upset about it. Yeah, understandably so. And once the Titans are in power, Synapse's fate was sealed. So Yeah, and the other way they allude to it is at the very end when all the Albion crew is putting on their Titans uniforms. They're actually not on the Albion, Isaac. Did you realize that? I mean, I guess that makes sense because the Albion wow. was like shredded up pretty good there. I mean, I guess we don't technically know what happened to the Albion, but I think it's fair to assume that it was damaged beyond repair or like not worth repairing. Huh. I had no idea. I assumed it was repaired, and what we were seeing was the bridge of the Albion with some some new captain coming on board uh, with long hair. No, it is not. So it is not the Albion. It is the Algiza, which is an Alexandria class first seen prior to this show. It was first seen in Zeta Gundam, so it's like the second generation ship. It's like based on like a Musai and a Pegasus class. So it, it's common in Zeta Gundam. Uh, and this was like either the first one or one of the first ones. So it's an Alexandria class. And then uh, the, the new captain, they do this on purpose. It's it's Jamatov. Whoa. Yeah, they only show him from oh, the back. Oh, right, his hair. Yeah, so you're supposed to infer that it's Jamatov, which is a little weird because I, I don't think his hair matches exactly, at least to me. But um, so I did read someone, I think, I don't remember where I read this. Either it was on Reddit or Megatalk. But someone did point out that the captain in that scene is wearing the exact trench coat that Jamatov wears throughout Zeta Gundam. So... Ah, okay. You kind of have to piece it together. That like, yeah, absolutely. From the back, that would be Jamatov's hair, more or right. less. Maybe he's still growing it out, or he like he needs to get better instructions to the barber. <laughs> and like, it's the same. It's the same cloak that he wears. Just just imagine it from the back. Okay, wow. Yeah. So I think what you're supposed Man. to take away from that scene is one, that's not Synapse. Two, if it's not Synapse, who is it? And I, we did see Jamatov earlier in the show, so I guess you could assume it's him. And then three, this was mentioned on multiple forums. I saw people talk about this on MechaTalk, on Reddit, as well as others. The people who were saying it wasn't Jamatov uh-huh. were thinking like, oh, it doesn't make sense for the crew to be very happy if Synapse got killed. And my thought on that is just, they must not know Synapse got killed. Like, I don't think Jamatov would let that out. Yeah, well... Like, they may just I be given know. a note that says, hey, confidentially, Synapse was disciplined and discharged man that's quite the way to hide it or that scene takes place before he's killed one of the two 
Yeah, but even then, I feel like, yeah, maybe it had to be before. God, what could they say to these people? Because all the evidence showed that they were very ride or die synapse, right? They were very much against what the conspirators were for and, well, from what they could understand. And they were going to be with the Albion until the end. So I have no idea what how they got buttered up and decided to give them Titans uniforms. You'd almost think they would be blacklisted from the Titans, right? For for daring to oppose military instructions and going along with Synapse. Maybe it boils down to Jamatov and Colony were like, hey, Synapse was the mastermind here. Let's just punish him. And if everyone else in their ship is that talented, they made it through this battle, we need them on our side. So if they're willing to go along with it, we'll just not tell them that Synapse is gone. Just tell him that he retired, and he wishes you all the best, and and he wishes that you all uh, become <laughs> titans, and, and you know yada yada yada, and there you go. He sent a letter. He said everybody should join the titans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So yeah, another thing you had to dig in was synapse and his ultimate fate, his tragic fate. Because man, he what a great captain to be under. Uh, he, he, him and Kojima went to the same school, <laughs> the same academy. Absolutely. Well, about the conspirators, though, Isaac, in this show, it was clearly presented that Admiral Colony was like the chief conspirator and then Jamatov was helping him. Was Basque equal to Jamatov or one level below? I feel like he was a level below, right? So he's like third rung. Absolutely. Yeah. Jamatov and, and Colony get to, you know, stay in the office. Uh, Basque <laughs> has to go out in the field. So it, it, if you're in the field, sorry to tell you this, but you're you're clearly not high up in the totem pole. <laughs> That's why they send you out into the field, you know? <laughs> okay, so then the last point on the conspiracy is, do we think that they really thought the solar system would work on the colony? So listeners, I left this part out about the summary, but they, they basically said, hey, Albion, stop going after the colony. Leave it to this fleet that we have amassing in front of the point of no return. And the point of no return is basically the... The point after which they don't think they can redirect the colony in a way that it you know escapes landing on Earth. It turns out though that what that fleet was doing was setting up a solar system, which we saw in the original Mobile Suit Gundam. This is like a miniaturized version, not as quite as many mirrors, Isaac. But the colony was already pretty close. Uh, unless that thing was going to get all of a sudden a lot more powerful to kind of like vaporize the colony, I don't think it was going to work. No, no. And I know like hindsight's twenty twenty, but yes, I, I fully believe the uh, Titans conspirators absolutely thought this would work. It'd be a, a show of strength. It was a smaller solar system than they used on Solomon. And I assume it was much more advanced. They could uh, maybe target it better and all that, all that jazz, whatever bells and whistles it had. And this was going to be such a show of strength for the Titans. They could blow this colony out of the sky. It would intimidate all the other solar, all the other colonies because, oh my God, now they have a, a solar system too that's able to fry colonies. You know, we better stay in line. They they would be heroes on, on Earth because they just saved the planet. And, uh, oh, look at those evil space noids. You know, oh, they're, they're dropping colonies again. Unfortunately... <laughs> I don't know if this is because the solar system was the only weapon they really had other than nuclear weapons. And God knows why they didn't try those. Um, (laughs) But they didn't take into account a few things, Brian. They didn't take into account that unlike Solomon, this thing's actually moving. So they're hitting a target that's moving towards them. Also, their fleet and the control ship is going to be under attack during this whole operation. So they weren't really counting on that because by that point, 
Shima should have neutralized Dilla's fleet and had them stand down, if you remember. Yes. Only yeah. Dilla's pleading with Gato caused that to, to go awry. You know, Dilla's pretty much said, kill me and lead the rest of our troops to continue the operation, which he absolutely did. Right. So now the the fleet that's there with the um, the solar system and the Shima fleet have to fight against, uh, I assume, a much more motivated and angrier Dilla's fleet. So that plus the, the Noya Zeal being there, which... God, who knows how many people uh, God was killed with the Noia Seal. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a terror with that thing, for sure. Yeah, that ba- that made such a bad mix. The Delage fleet did so well at that point that God was able to fly to the colony, land, get into the colony to enter in the final course corrections. You know, <laughs> y- you would have thought that, well, maybe Bascom isn't that smart, but you would have assumed a more competent admiral would have said, we need to get Federation troops in normal suits to get on that colony. I don't care what it takes. Get to that control room and just try, try moving into a different direction. And then we would have had a scene of maybe a gunfight inside the control room. But Bascom was running it. And this is another part, Brian, back to your original question of, do they really think this would work? Yes, if they waited for the full focusing of the mirrors. But Bascom decided to get scared and immediately call for the uh, the firing when he could see the colony with his own eyes. <laughs> yeah, that, that part always rubbed me the wrong way. Like there were, there were no scientists there. Yeah, like you do all that work and then you're like, ah, it's close enough. Just fire the thing. It's like, how much effort did it take to get here and you're going to like bungle it at the last second? God, yeah. If Tianum lived, you know he would have waited to line it up, right? He would have been like, <laughs> yes. all right, everybody, I've seen this thing work before. We're going to wait until all the mirrors are ready, and then we're going to fire. And this is going to be the coolest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Batcom was like, uh, 60%? Fire it anyway. <laughs> you, you mentioned Tianum. So if you read Cohen's like wiki page, it turns out there's this whole discussion about how he's like a part of the reformist faction of the Federation, whereas like Jamatov and and Colony are part of the the Hawk faction or like the conservative faction. If Revel yeah. and Tianum were still alive, do you feel like the reformist faction would have had more power? I feel like if they were still alive, Jamatov and and Colony and Basque, I don't think they would have been able to get as far as they did. No, not at all. I assume Revel ran the show, but I'm not sure where Gop would rank in there either. I assume he and Revel, since they work well together, right? Yeah, he definitely doesn't seem on the on the level of Colony and Jamatov. No. Tianem. Oh, boy. So you said there was the Reformist faction and then kind of the conservative faction. Yeah. I think there was also this other faction from what I read that was like the ship faction. <laughs> and by that, I mean... Admiral Earl Grey was in the ship faction, supposedly, from what oh, okay. I read. And, and their approach was, you know what? Sure, we had mobile suits during the one-year war, but at the end of the day, space battles are about ships. <laughs> so we need <laughs> Birminghams and all, and all that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pilot my pretty Birmingham into the center of the Naval Review. Um, <laughs> so I think Tiana might have been in that fleet. Got it, okay. But then again, it, it's hard to say. Him, him and Earl Grey might have headed it up. But then again, Tiana might have been, look, we need to double down on super weapons. So maybe he would have gone with Cohen. Then again, maybe he would have told the, the conservative faction, you know what? I heard you guys are, are messing around with the solar system too. I'm really good at solar systems. <laughs> so let me join you guys. <laughs> See, all this stuff you had to read yeah. online in lore 
outside of the series to kind of piece things together to really figure out that there were these larger factions that Cohen and and Jamatov were a part of. Because otherwise, it just seems like these animals are just running things so autonomously that they can really mess with each other on such a scale. Right. Outside of General Revel, they've never been super clear about like who's the most in charge, right? But like it did feel like once Admiral Earl Grey died, it, it felt like Colony got more power. Before that, it seemed like Admiral Earl Grey or Green Wyatt, he, I feel like he was the top ranking guy because he was in the Birmingham in the center of the thing. Yeah, true. That, uh, ooh, hmm. I wonder. See, again, our, our knowledge of like the Federation actual leadership is so, so vague. I, I wonder if they were all more case of, uh, you know, Maybe Green Wyatt was a first among equals, where they really were all equal. It's just a matter of who kind of has more power at like a specific moment. But it's hard to say. And I'm I'm sure that's intentional on Sunrise's part because you don't want to overdo it and back yourself into like a narrative corner. You always want to give yourself some some room to introduce new characters if you ever want to tell a new story. But it, it is a little weird, right? When you have multiple admirals, you're not sure which one takes priority. So you know, listeners, if you know, let us know. So. Yeah, it's kind of weird that created Colony as a character, though. Like, if you almost think they would have just had Basque Ohm and Jaimatov in that room for, you know, the scenes with Cohen. Instead, why, why include Colony and then we never see him in Zeta? It didn't make much sense. I had the same thought. My only thought was maybe that they had already revealed, perhaps, that Jaimatov was not an admiral at that time. And therefore, they needed, like, a bridge character. Oh, okay. So Jaimatov's mentor or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I agree, you're right. It would seem oh, simpler to have less people, right, and just have Jamatov. If you read the wiki, apparently Colony is also in another side story manga called Missing Link, which I think was also a video game. So he, he does show up a little bit, but this one was definitely his biggest biggest appearance. Because then it even says, like, we're not sure what happens to him oh. after 0083. Ooh, what's your headcanon, Brian? Well, if I was in charge of writing it, I would have Jamatov kill him and take control. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great that's a very Jamatov thing to do i like that yeah killed by your own people of course that's the fate you deserved it's like the titans or the sith isaac you know they're always trying to one-up yeah. each other cohen did cohen die or is he uh is he in like a, a retirement home during zeta and just kind of folding his newspaper and like well i try to <laughs> warn you <ya." laughs> so i had the same thought you would think they would kill him too but apparently he just gets demoted to like a, a brigadier general or a rear admiral or something. So hmm. interesting. They don't say he's dead, but they don't really say that he's, you know, it's not like he's in other stories. So how long do you think Ko was in prison? <laughs> I think it was like three months or less, right? Because I think at the end, That's the Titans great. rise up in, I think, December, like less than a month after the colony drop. And then I think we get a few more months pass in the epilogue. The next, I forget what the next date given is, but I feel like it's March, but I'm probably wrong on that. And then that's when Ko is going back to the base and he's been released because the GDP has been deleted. So it, it was less, hmm. he, he was given one year. I think he served, you know, three, four months, at least if, if I'm counting correctly. Okay. And when once he's released, he goes to Australia and he runs into um, Keith. Well, no, he, he's, in, uh, he's in North America because he, remember, he picks up the grain. And you can see the colony wreckage. Oh, I thought it was Australia. He's in North America. Wow. Okay. Yeah, at at Oakley Base. Which is where? California? That's a good question. Uh, Well, I don't know. It's supposed to be in the grain area, so probably in the Midwest, I would imagine. The grain area. 
Yeah. Oh, the Universal Century. It's so vague. Right. Farm country. <laughs> He's in North America. <laughs> um, that's what they label it. They label okay. it North American Oakley Base. And I was like, that's that's a wide area. Could we narrow that down a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> He's in the Western Hemisphere. Um, okay, <laughs> I mean that's like that's like our Americanness showing through, Isaac. You know how we have that bias where like all of our states are like as big as most countries in other parts yeah. of the world. So like we re- we really need to know the state. <laughs> like it's too big of an area. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you know what? Dare I say it? That shows just our interest in geography and how precise we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice when he sees Nina and Nina sees him, she almost gets like a pained look and looks away. I assume remembering Gato and and all the other mm. the, the nonsense and drama that happened in Operation yes. Stardust. And then she decides, you know, I guess she decides to be happy and uh, she looks back at Co and smiles and then roll credits. Yes, yes. So that was one of my other points I wanted to talk about was... Let's do it. I think in this back half, Nina was a little bit out of touch with reality isaac she wasn't getting what she wanted and she takes some pretty extreme actions at the end and then yeah we're kind of left with this open ending so when gato and ko are fighting in units one and two she keeps asking like why must it be this way and like i think you know why it must be this way nina because you gave ko the gundam and gato stole the other one nuked the fleet so like you have to go fight him what more do you want? Like, you're refusing to accept what's in front of you. Yeah. She was, I don't want to say so emotional, but like, come on, you've known since episode one that it's got to. Right. So like, we have to stop him. He's got a nuke. Right. The colony's falling. You know, there, there was a destruction of the, the naval review. Uh, come on, Nina. Right. At a certain point, you have to be like, well, I'm in love with a mass murderer. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Just yeah, I, I'm sure he was. I'm sure you have great memories of your ex, but my God, put it aside. We have to save our government and our, and our nation. <laughs> uh, maybe the <laughs> was just that good, Isaac. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, there was a point where we thought a colony was falling on the moon, and even after all that, I mean, it was falling towards the moon, and she's from the moon. And even at that point, after all that, she's like, well, I still have feelings for Gato to the point where she's going to pull out a gun and defend him on the uh, the colony. Yeah, I mean, Ko lays it out for her on the colony. He says, hey, exactly what you said. He says, look, it's Gato. He stole Unit 2, and he's dropping the colony. Like, this is not okay. And she's like, it doesn't matter. I still, you know, I don't want him to die. You don't have to do this. And, like, I feel like she's just being selfish. Yeah, it's like, Nina, you made your decision way back when, when things didn't work out. I mean, if he was with you, he would have been with you and said you hadn't seen him for who knows how long until Australia. Right. So, God, what a, what a mess. What a horrible mess. So, what's your headcanon? Do you think they get back together and live happily ever after, or what? Yeah, I, th- I think everybody lived happily ever after that survived here. So, uh, Keith and Mora get together, which, you know, God, they're kind of the most successful uh, couple in the show. Well, the only successful couple in the show, right? Right. And then Ko and Nina, they, they did, um, you know, kind of have a an understanding, and, and they did uh, bond over everything that happened and get together. But should they, though? Because I, I personally think Ko should tell her to pound sand. And like, <laughs> like this, this woman shot at him. While he's trying to save the world, Isaac. Yeah. So, so Ko's really sloppy seconds, right? Because she made her decision. She Absolutely. chose Gato. 100%. Okay. I would yeah. tell her to buzz off. If, if Ko has any balls, which he probably doesn't, <laughs> he should tell her to, you know, take a hike. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, would you be okay with them being friends? Like he comes back and he's like, you know, what you did was pretty bad. And I, I clearly had feelings for you. I, I you know, I'm, gonna, I'm clearly going to be around. Keith is my friend. Let's at least have a, a polite <laughs> friendship. You know, um, I mean, I think they could be civil around one another, but I would not be her friend. She left him for dead on the colony. <laughs> they they locked his ass in the room. Remember? So that they so that he couldn't yeah. follow them. Man, <laughs> she left him for dead. Uh, okay. <sighs> All right, you got me there, Brian. Yeah, Co should not get with Nina, no matter how he feels, no matter how rough prison was, and uh, what emotional support he's looking for since Synapse is gone, Burning's gone. Yeah, I, I, I doubt the Immortal Fourth team will be inviting Co for drinks. You know who he should have got with? Uh-oh, Shima? No. <laughs> was Lucette from Anaheim, like the other Nina, wow. right? The, the Unit 3 Nina. Yeah. She had a way better haircut. She had a better attitude. She knew what she wanted. And I thought that scene where she where she goes into his room after he took a shower and she says, Co, there's something I want to show you. I was like, wow, this is really going in a weird direction for the show. <laughs> yeah, man, you're right. She was the anti-Nina, right? She died to help the Federation. She went out of her way to try to help the Federation, whereas Nina went out of her way to help the Delaz fleet. Right. Man. Yeah, she she chose the moral ground of like, hey, we have to do everything we can to stop this colony. Federation orders be damned. Let's get this done. And Nino chose, well, he was my ex-boyfriend and I still clearly like him. So don't kill him, please. Yeah, man. Oh, Nina, you're hard to redeem despite our effort. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't to say that Nina, that makes Nina a bad character. That's obviously her character flaw. It just makes me not like her. That's all. So maybe that's maybe that means that Nina turns out to be a, a good character, even if she's annoying. Yeah. Oh, we better hope she doesn't have another boyfriend, because like she'll be helping Neo Zeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many other Gatos are out there? We're gonna see like a middle-aged uh, Nina in like a, a a new series about like her helping Neo Zeon because <laughs> she had another <laughs> ex. She's like making their mobile suits now. <laughs> She's going to go hit on Char next and be like, oh, you have long hair and it's light colored and you're an ace pilot. <laughs> Can you tell me about your ideals? <laughs> <laughs> She's way too old for Char, though, so I don't think it'll work out. Oh, Nina. Okay, well. So what else did we see that's pretty amazing in this last half? I thought that Ko actually improved as a character in this back half. I'm not sure that it's enough to make up for all those terrible decisions he made in the first half particularly about fixing the Valvaro yeah. with Kelly Lazner, but oh god yeah he definitely went in a different direction this this back half and maybe that was due to the director change that we mentioned in the last episode but we started off being like pretty okay with Nina he was even like confident a little bit Isaac remember in that there's that one episode right in the beginning of episode eight maybe nine where he refers to he makes a joke to Nina he's like ribbon her he's like hey make sure you take care of my Gundam oh yeah and I was like oh that means they they must have like boned <laughs> he's, he's got this newfound confidence you're a gundam yeah <laughs> but like i think the biggest step for him isaac is a character of going from this guy that can't decide on how to do anything to being very decisive was when he agrees to steal gp3 from uh, levian rose yeah yeah that that really set the whole albion on their path to go rogue temporarily right because i think old co would have just ran away which right that was his usual problem-solving strategy was to run away and not solve the problem but here he made the conscious decision okay i have a i have a moral decision to make obeying orders is the easy way out stealing unit three is the hard way out but the right way so let's go do that 
Yeah, and even as a pilot, he had leveled up so much by then. He went from a somewhat pathetic test pilot to being able to pilot what was, I assume, the most advanced mobile suit and mobile armor the Federation had at the time. Yeah, and he did pretty well with it. I mean, that said, it probably outclassed everything he was fighting, but right, he, he was killing everybody. So again, that cool demolition chain that he took out that moose eye with, he had those big beam savers, Isaac, where he, he cut that moose eye's bridge off. He should have used that more often. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I think from what I vaguely remember, I mean, he was clearly able to be neck and neck with Gato for a while, but I think Gato had the upper hand on him right before the solar ray fired. Uh, you're correct. I may, I paid special attention to that battle so that I could answer that question. You're right. They were neck and neck for a while. Like, Ko got that really one good missile hit on Gato in the beginning, and got in the noise eel's shoulder was damaged from then on out. But after that, Gato destroyed Ko's eye field. He disabled both of Ko's dendrobium arms. Yeah. And then you're right. Right when the uh, solar system was going to fire, he had him, like, pinned down with those, I don't know, like, mini arm anchors. I don't know what you'd call those, but... Oh, yeah, the surprise arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you're close enough for those, it's pretty bad. You're in trouble. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, like, what do you mean it has more arms? Yeah. <laughs> Two arms are not enough. Here's eight more. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had him dead to rights, so, <sighs> you know. Wow. At that point, though, I don't even know. Was Gato really interested in killing Ko? I think he just wanted to win the battle. Do you think he really would have, like, finished him off completely? Yeah, I think Ko was going to go down. I think everybody was going to go down there. It was... To the Lost Fleet's last stand. But yeah, the Gato and the Noise Eel, Isaac, that was a show. I tried counting the amount of Solomus he killed. I think it was at least seven, maybe eight. And that was oh. what he that was on screen, so I'm sure he got a few more off screen, right? Because they were fighting for hours out there, so Yeah. Speaking of fighting and <laughs> not fighting, I suppose. How come Basque Om wasn't like punished for the failure of the solar system? Like did he just chalk it up and say, well, it was, it was the Albion and the, you know, the Shima fleet. You can't trust those, you can't rely on those space noids. Like you, you assume he would have faced some type of punishment for the operation he was single-handedly leading in space in the field, not going <laughs> according to plan. I think he would have blamed it on Gato destroying that control ship. Huh. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. He, he could say, well, the control ship didn't come back, so they destroyed it. That's all the evidence you need. <laughs> <laughs> So, Isaac, one other thing I was interested in answering was how many ships were at the Naval Review? Oh, boy. It looks like hundreds. Yeah. So I did a little research on that, and there was another post on Mechatalk from back in 2010 from Mark Simmons. Uh-huh. He kind of backed into a number. He says, I'll quote his post from 12 years ago. He says, in the 0083 novels, the commanders of the Federation pursuit fleet that leave Solomon estimate that they outnumber the enemy five to one. Since the Axis fleet hasn't shown up yet, and the combined Delaws and Shima fleets have about 20 warships, this suggests that roughly 100 surviving ships set off from Solomon. So there may have been about 250 of them at the Naval Review. So, that seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell with like the stars and the lights and all that. Right. Solomon or Conpei Island being lit up like a Christmas tree. But it could have been anywhere from hundreds to maybe the low thousands. You know, it was hard to tell, really. Yeah. What's a mobile suit out there? What's a fighter? What's and all that? What's a capital ship? Uh, okay, that makes sense. One more thing I just realized is the failure of the solar system too meant that the Titans had to develop the Grips Colony laser because if the solar system 2's debut was showing everybody that it can wipe out colonies and it failed at that, the next logical step for the Titans would have been 
guys, we need to develop a, an even more powerful weapon that can take out colonies or at least heavily damage them. It's also kind of, and whether this is intentional on uh, Tomino's part or not, but the solar system was always the Federation weapon and the, the solar ray was always the Xeon weapon or the, the fascist weapon, if you yeah. will. So the Titans moving from the solar system to the solar ray is thematically appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good catch on that. Ooh, okay. What was it, you live long enough to uh, die the hero or see yourself become the villain? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> or make yourself into the villain in Jamatov's case, I guess. Yeah, conspire your way into becoming the villain. <laughs> so two things I noticed that uh, I believe don't have answers. After Unit 2 fires the nuke and Gato flies away, he just kind of disengages the bazooka and it floats away. I wonder what happened to the bazooka. Someone should go recover it and make a side story about it. <laughs> Second, we don't really know what happened to Unit 3, the, the stamen. I mean, obviously the the Orcus was destroyed or, you know, damaged beyond repair. But Unit 3 was fine. It was inside the Orcus, had no real noticeable damage. I think the wiki surmises that perhaps it was disassembled when the Gundam development project was deleted. But, I mean, that that's lame. Give me a side story where they recover the bazooka and they give it to Unit 3 and something happens. Wow, that's a pretty cool idea for a side story. A rogue Gundam or something like that. Yeah, or, I yeah. don't know. Synapses last blitz. I don't know. <laughs> he, he he breaks out of prison before his execution. Yeah, and you could paint Unit Three in Titans colors or something. Ooh, there you go, Terror Gundam or something like that. Or, <laughs> I don't know, man. I like that so much. That's pretty cool, Brian. I mean, my head cannon was just—it's a discarded bazooka for a nuclear warhead. They probably just collected it when they were doing the Conpay cleanup and sweeps, and then they put it in storage, or it was eventually just yeah. thrown into waste. More or less the same for Unit 3. It was It's a prototype at the end of the day. So Anaheim, maybe they took it back and did some studying on the, the combat data they got in the computer, or maybe it was just mothballed, and you know there's going to be some, some new units coming out anyways, Namos or Jagans. We got a side story about everything else under the sun, Isaac. Give me this one. Oh, Brian, and you know who's behind this Gundam and the nuke getting, um, I guess, repossessed? Mm. Is it someone on the Federation side or Zeon? It sure is the Federation. Well, it's... Oh, Cohen. He's going out for revenge. That's right. It's Cohen. He's not done yet. He's going to yeah. go back and try to throw together what's left of his little project babies. There you go. Yeah, we'll call it the, the Synapse Gundam. Man, or something like that. I don't know. In this side story, does Synapse is, is Synapse alive? Like they faked his execution, or like the Titans said they executed him, but he re- there was really a jailbreak with with Cohen behind it, you know, and they they just they're just trying to save face. I think I would still have Synapse die. Synapse's execution would be how the series opens. Oh man! And then it would be it would be Cohen like you know narrating it, and then they say, well, "What are we gonna do, sir?" And then he says, "You know, well, we're gonna get revenge." And then the door opens, and it's Unit Three with the with the bazooka on the shoulder. Man. Ugh, so does that mean they get another nuke? Yeah, yeah, they just, you know, they go they go dig up that guy's body and they ret- get his retinal scan to open the <laughs> open the thing again. Are they trying to like destroy the Titans like early on? Is that what they're they're trying to do? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the founding of like Karaba or something. Oh wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um Isaac, another thing I liked in this show, and it's mostly just because of the the lore behind it. I, again, I think this is something that if 
you don't know enough about Gundam that the significance might be lost on you. But it's the, the presence of the Axis fleet. Uh, I thought that was cool. I thought that how they brought the Noiseal was super neat. It was a little odd about how they were, quote, neutral, but they were bringing the Noiseal. They were doing all those recovery operations, and they, they were, like, flying pretty close to the action there, like, near the colony. Did you notice where they, like, showed the Axis fleet, like, near the colony on that little map? I was like, well, they're basically in the battle. Like, how are they neutral right now? But yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's kind of like, you know, all the NATO countries right now with Ukraine. I guess they're they're neutral in the conflict, but they're helping. So, yeah, good point. It's not unheard of, but I don't know. Did you did you like Axis here? And then also the fact that Axis was there, there was the the Haman cameo, which was great when she she says those words. She says, you know, how many years must we wait? I thought that was to get her into the show and then to have, her, you know, you're only going to get to use her for a little bit. That one line was perfect for her. Yeah, it was pretty cool seeing her and very much a, a slight hint that Neo Zeon would be coming. Axis Zeon, I guess is what's called at this point. But yeah, you really have to read between the lines there and kind of put things together, right? You have to be like, okay, Axis is here, but the Federation is not attacking them right away. So clearly by now they're kind of viewed as their own thing. And what kind of drove that home even more for me was that the ships looked more different you know enough time has mm-hmm. passed that axis has its own style of ships if you noticed i right. think it's um it's not a guadin i mean it looks a lot like the guadin but it's not there's some visual differences i think even their moose eyes were a little different or maybe they kept the same moose eyes enough times passed that axis has really become its own identity and i guess the federation and them had an agreement by now where you know zeon refugees went to axis for the time being we're neutral we will not fight each other even interesting that the the little admirals and advisors with uh, Haman in the conference room, their their uniforms are nothing like what Zeon would wear. I think they're Guazine. Well, the Guadin is a Guazine class. Okay. I think theirs was like a Guan Bon class. Oh God, these Zeon names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're real bad. <laughs> of course, it was called a Guan Bon Bon. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. And the one, so, okay, so it was, I'm looking it up on the wiki right now. It was called, it was a Guanban class called the Guanzan, and that was the, the flagship of the Axis Advance yeah. fleet. And for whatever reason, they decided that the bridge should be like an anchor, uh, an, an acre in size, because that was a <laughs> mat. It's bigger than Delaz's bridge. <laughs> hey, hey, they like luxury over there in Axis, okay? Yeah. And they didn't give Nina a seat, remember? They made no, her no. Sit on like, the floor. Yeah, you can sit on the floor. <laughs> There's like all this space and like everybody's got a seat except her. (laughs) Another thing I enjoyed, Isaac, was I thought this show, for better or worse, did a very good job of romanticizing the Zeon cause. There were a lot of examples of this. There was Gato sort of monologuing as he's flying through the, the weeping Solomon Sea right about how he's returned and all this stuff and you know his his words of like solomon i have returned uh, as he fires the nuke even in the beginning in the first half when we saw when delaz gives his speech in front of unit two it was very imposing it's it very much rallies the space noid cause there was gato purposely launching the flare before uh, attacking solomon even though it gave away all their positions all the uh zeon pilots they appreciated the glow of the flare to like it was kind of like uh, you know in Harry Potter when the Death Eaters fl- throw up the the dark mark. Yeah, uh, I, I I felt it was the same thing. And then at the end when the colony impacts, 
it's the Axis guy on the ship, isn't he? He's telling Nina, he's like, the light of the colony impacting is the light of all the souls of the men who lost their lives to, like, make this happen. So there was this really good job of romanticizing the, the Zeon's cause. And, like, I would describe it as if you're going to be a fan of Zeon, like, this is the show for you. Because they really went all in on, like, getting you on, on board with Zeon here. Yeah, absolutely. At this point, it almost seems like Zeon had evolved in its reasons for fighting. You know, originally in 0079, you don't hear too much about our ideals and space noid independence. You hear a lot more about, you know, the just the principality should rule and all that and, you know, the zombies and all that and the Federation being corrupt. But this, it's it's very much a case, I guess, of Delaz wanting to change the narrative and say, well, the, the whole war was really about space noids. And, you know, that's why we're still fighting for space noid independence. But um, as much as I like Delaz and as much as the actual drop of the colony was a success, his final goal of getting the, the colonies to rally and fight back and side three to really rally and fight back failed because uh, none of that happened. The response didn't come from even seeing Unit 2 in that speech he made, not right. even seeing yep. Unit 2 attack the Naval Review and not with a colony drop. The, the only thing that really rallied people would ultimately be um, the gassing done by the Titans in uh, Zeta Gundam. So time would still have to pass by before the the colonies formed Aug and Karaba on Earth. And uh, and yeah, people finally rose up against the Federation, but it was definitely not the laws or the laws fleet's actions. Yeah, what it ended up inspiring was actions against them rather than actions for them. Yeah, absolutely. And... I guess people seeing the the gassing was was so horrific because that was on civilians. You know, the the Laz fleet was yeah, clearly yeah. military on military actions for a while. The colony fell, but from what it sounds like, it landed on maybe the best place besides the ocean. It landed on um, farms. <laughs> so <laughs> it is what it is. Ultimately, failed at the true goal of Operation Stardust, which was to start the war again because. I mean, so much of it was covered up. I'm not sure how much the general public even knew about Stardust. Maybe they just knew the colony fell and maybe it was kind of hijacked. But don't worry, the Titans are here now and they're going to prevent <laughs> this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they had to tell the public some part of it to get them on their side for the Titans, right? Otherwise, yeah, those Xeon terrorists are at it again. Do you think the result would have been different if the laws had survived and he could have like bragged about the success? Right, because he was gone, so it's yeah. not like he could like hype it up. I don't think so. I think at that point he would have even a smaller fleet, or even none, depending on what was left. I don't see a situation where he lives. I mean, how did the laws want it to go? Well, getting to your question, no, he would have just been some mouthpiece, you know, that could occasionally hack the feed and and give a speech. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, did the laws expect this to go with like, there there would be no resistance as the colony was approaching Earth and he would have just been, you know, enjoying the show and then he can kind of sneak back to the Garden of Thorns? Yeah, I guess that would have been his plan. I don't think he expected it to be a, a cakewalk. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have made all those extra plans about, you know, leaving the propellant until the end to change the course to first putting it on course to the, to the moon um, and then deflecting it with that laser system. 
I, I think if he expected okay. it to be a cakewalk, it would have been a more direct, just use the propellant to put it on a course and hope it gets there. Yeah. I think he prepared and he kind of even bragged about it in that one episode about how like he was impressed that they actually got this done with so few ships. Yeah, that's true. And last time he did it, he needed like all of Zeon's fleets. Right. So, yeah. okay, that makes sense. But, oh boy, so arrogant. I wonder if he even expected like a single fleet to be able to get to him in time before the fall. Because they were counting on outrunning that fleet that was chasing them to Luna. But for whatever reason, I guess Shima might have been involved with this. But they had no idea that a fleet was ahead of them and setting up a solar system. Yeah, exactly. There's so many like what ifs and if this didn't happen, what if this happened? That's what happens when you have a conspiracy pileup. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many. Cons- I can't think of another show, with, another Gundam show with this many tightly wound uh, conspiracies that were not explicitly explained. No, no, I don't think any other Gundam series has this. I'm trying to think like a double O, like there's there's some secrecy involved around like a celestial being, but I wouldn't call it a conspiracy. No, that's just a narrative device. Yeah, Iron Blood Orphans has like one man plotting to overthrow <laughs> Gallarhorn, but that's vaguely a conspiracy because it's really just him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, that's not no, that's not a conspiracy. That's just somebody somebody's plotting. So yeah, this series takes the cake as far as uh, conspiracy on top of conspiracy and then secrets and plans and all that. Yeah, definitely. How about the new mecha that we got here, Isaac? So in this back half, we got the we got Unit 3, the Zeal, and we got the Gabura Tetra. I think that's for the most part um, it. What did you what did you think of the new additions? You forgot the Drossi. <laughs> oh, I think we saw the Drossi last time. But yes, the Dr- we didn't talk about the Drossi last time, so we can definitely talk about the Drossi this time. There's nothing really to say. I was joking because that thing's hideous. <laughs> like it, it's pointless. It's not even a mobile suit. It's like a a mobile flyer because like it's legless. It's right. one of its arms got replaced with like a weak machine gun. It's it's just a refer <laughs> reconnaissance. Yeah, yeah. I do like its mono eye that it goes all the way around though. Yeah, that's the only cool feature. Like, I, I almost wish that put that on the body of, like, a Zaku or something, you know? Yeah, I, I like that it's different, um, even if I don't love the design or anything, but... Uh... Right, yeah, but getting back to your question, um, it's the UC series with the designs I like the best. And I know it's my favorite series, but Noyazil, Dendrobium, Valvaro... Uh, I'm not too big of a fan of Gerber Tetra. It might be the color, but... um. But yeah, Gerber Tetra also. They're they're all pretty awesome designs. Man, w- would you get a perfect grade Dendrobium <laughs> or Master Grade? <laughs> a perfect I grade. Say. Uh, master Grade. That would be pretty cool. So interesting, you bring that up. So uh, Hajime Katoki did the design for the the Dendrobium, uh, both the you know the Orcus and the Stamen. Uh huh. This was his first series that he worked on, and we talked about all the designs he did on the last episode as well. He did the Dom Tropin, you know, all the gyms that you see in this show. He did. Recently, it's it's now the 20th anniversary of the Master Grade Ver Ka line, which is like where he redesigns the suit and they make a Master Grade out of it. Uh-huh. And they, they announced that there's going to be a new Master Grade Ver Ka to commemorate the 20th anniversary. They did not announce what it would be, though, and people have been speculating like, you know, oh, I wish I wanted to be this, I want it to be that. You know, given that it's a 20th anniversary one, it's got to be a Gundam. It's got to be special. So it's either going to be a, a revision of the original Verka kit, which was, you know, the normal RX-78. But I think it'd be cool if, exactly what you say, if it's a Master Grade Dendrobrium. I mean, that would be ballsy because that thing would be like $600. But it'd be pretty cool. 
Yeah, man, I'd love to have one. And I'm not even big on like Gundams in general, you know, because I'm always getting mono wise. But <laughs> it, it would be so cool to have, God, all the features and stuff, all the weapons, the missile pods, the claws, demolition chain, the massive beam cannon it has, the little, uh, well, not even little, but the, the massive beam saber. <laughs> Yo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can you imagine the effects parts for that beam saber? It would be... Oh, God. It'd be huge. You know, that, that'd be a huge <laughs> chunk of clear plastic there. That'd be pretty awesome, though. Man. Oh, boy. But honestly, I would love it if instead of, like, one version Ka for the 20th anniversary, they would just do a whole 0083 line of all his designs. Because a lot of these, like, the Dom Trophin doesn't have a master grade. Yeah. That's... All of the Unit 1, Unit 2, Unit 3 master grades are, like, really old, and they've never done a version 2. So to start it off with a version two of Unit Three, the Dom Troppin, the the powered gym, the the gym. I don't think the gym um, the gym custom there is one, but it's pretty old. There's not one for the gym cannon. I don't think that we could get our Gelgoog Marine Isaac. That would be great. There's not a master grade Gelgoog Marine, and he did all those designs. I I think that would be super awesome. Yeah, I think people would buy him. You know, Master Grade Zommel. Would you be on board for that one? Oh God, definitely. It's just <laughs> that I mean, they sound great, but at the same time, it does seem like a bit of a pipe dream because there's going to be a new series out, and we know they're going to put all their focus on that, so we won't really get Double Eighty Three. And Double Eighty Three, while it has um such great designs and stuff like that, the the love story aspect I feel like is something that the fans usually criticize. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and to an extent, it's kind of, I, I, well, this is true for every Gundam series, but it came out a while ago, and the nostalgia for it is less than the nostalgia for like 0079 or 8th MS Team for some reason. It, it almost feels too 80s, <laughs> too early <laughs> 90s in its design, at least for the characters and, you know, the, some of the visuals. And I, I, I can kind of understand that, but... Yeah, I'd I'd be very surprised if we see a lot more 0083 um, models coming out. I mean, I think they'll eventually do version 2s of the Gundams, but yeah, I I don't think we're ever going to get a Dom Troppin or a Gelgoog Marine, as much as I would love one of those. I I don't think that's high on the list, but it's in my pipe dream, Isaac, so... Yeah, you can always custom it. (laughs) People do love the Dendrobium, though. I just, I think it's just too big. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, like... It's going to come with its own impressive stand just to hold it up. <laughs> yeah, you got to buy the stand separately, and the stand is like $100. Yeah, you have to build the stand. The stand's at like a three-hour <laughs> project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also think, too, that they've never even released a master-grade um, quad wing from Unicorn because I think wow. it's just it's really heavy, and they, they probably can't figure it out too well. And, and even before that, I mean... If they're going to release something big that's a master grade, it's going to be like the Kasai Gundam or the Penelope to, yeah. to go with the new movies. They're not going to go back and do the Dendrobium at this point, at least not no. yet. No, no, no. If you, this is what this is a case of like some things from the past just being relegated to like one forty one one forty four scale. Yeah, you know, you yeah. can get a Noiseal; it's just one forty four scale. Right. You know, you can you can get a Juagu; it's one forty four. But if you're asking us what we want. Do we want a master grade dendrobium? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh God. What would the price be? It's oh, uh, t- too much. No yeah, one would pr- buy it. Prohibitive. You, you, yeah. It, yeah. Prohibitively. You, you could get a console. <laughs> <instead>. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably more than a console. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. One thing about the Gundams, Isaac, that I noticed. 
I appreciated that Unit 1, Unit 2, and Unit 3 were all slightly different shades of gray. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. Unit 2 is a bit darker, right? Because it's um, understandably more sinister. <laughs> Correct. Unit 2 is like a darker evil gray. Unit 1 was very bluish white uh, hero colors. And then Unit 3, they made a, a very distinctive choice to put more... It's not dark, but it's more like tan looking. It's not tan, but if you compare it side by side to Unit 1, it's much more tan. So like the Gunnams are... Yeah, they're on the same line, but they're all slightly different and, and i like that so if you if i was to build models of them i would definitely not paint them all the same color yeah that's that's a, such a great eye to detail brian yeah i can see oh boy you'd really have to start mixing some grays to figure out what tone <laughs> yes. what tone you're actually going to use and then you put on the model and you're like that came off as darker than i want <laughs> <laughs> and for those some some people might say oh well you're just looking at different you know pictures they're they're actually supposed to be the same color no they make a, a there's a point in the opening in men of destiny where they go directly from unit one and unit two and the next shot is unit three and they're all three different colors unit three felt like it had the fewest colors because it was like mostly gray and then like just a blue chest yeah unit three is definitely probably the most boring of the three uh-huh. um how do, how do you rank unit three it really almost seems like they designed it to be stripped down since it really just needs to hold the pilot that's almost right. its, its main yeah. purpose, you know. Maybe in an yeah. emergency, hopefully it can get back to friendly lines. But other than that, it's it's there to hold the pilot, probably has fast engines, and it can hold a, a rifle, and that's about it. All right, Isaac, we covered a lot of ground. You got anything else to, to add before we sum it up and give our final ratings here? Yeah, I would say that it, it was great to revisit 0083. Felt like visiting an old friend. Seeing something that really introduced me to Gundam was, was a treat glad i really enjoyed it i appreciated it more more or less feel the same about it it's just that i i guess i kind of give nina purpleton a bit more understanding you know i i don't agree with what she did really and i still don't care for her too much as a character but i can kind of nod my head and be like yeah i can i can see someone acting like that you know yeah yeah how about you brian how did you feel going back to it after all these years and even after last blitz of zeon how did you feel wrapping it up and seeing the uh, the proper ending yeah i definitely probably enjoyed it more this time and and to your point i don't think i'm gonna be as harsh on nina going forward i echo you and that i don't like what she did but i don't think that means she's a bad character i just think that means she's a an annoying character who i disagree with her choices that's not the same as ko though i feel like back half ko is is better than first half ko but first half ko just makes some real illogical decisions that go beyond an annoying character like nina to where i just it just doesn't make sense to me i think going back to this show the second time the my favorite part of it was i have so much more gundam knowledge now than when i watched it the first time that it was more fun to uh, sit through the conspiracy and see that unfold so and especially in the full format not in the last blitz of zeon format which was just not a good idea <laughs> so again <laughs> listeners if if you're on the fence about watching the compilation movie or watching the full series do not do, this is not a case where you should watch the compilation movie you can go watch the compilation movies for 0079 but do not you know do not watch it for 0083 you'll be doing yourself a disservice yeah yeah <laughs> that's great advice all right isaac how many uh how are those are you going to give this show Oh boy. All listeners, as you all know, this was the one that introduced me to Gundam. I said it before. I really enjoyed it, not just for the visuals and all that, but it had a great story, really strong characters. Love story aside, it was a really fun watch. 
And that's why I get it five out of five Haros. Wow, perfect score. Right up there with Crossbone for Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been six out of five. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, it was it was high, yeah. Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be quite as perfect as Isaac here. I think the back half of this show fixes a lot of the problems that I had with the first half in the sense that I don't think there's any horribly illogical decisions in the back half other than maybe, like, I don't really see a real reason why Gato had to go back to the colony. I feel like they could have automated that with some sort of program that just delayed the change in, uh, in uh, you know, course. But, um, but beyond that, like, that's kind of like a nitpick. Um, beyond that, I think the, the problems in the, in, that were there in the first half had been fixed in terms of co. So I think the back half is better. I think I would rate the back half a 9, and I think I rated the first half a ten or uh, an 8. So I think I'll, I'll just average the two. I'm going to give the entire show an 8.5 out of 10. I just feel like the first half has some weird plot character problems that, that really drag it down from an overall score perspective. But that said, uh, the back half is great. Uh, especially if you're familiar with your Gundam lore. And then regardless of where you're at in your Gundam fandom, the show has wonderful mecha designs and wonderful animation that I think everyone should watch at least once. And uh, even if you're not paying attention to the plot, you can definitely appreciate that. So that that goes a long way um, in a lot of people's eyes. So, so yeah, 8.5 out of 10, solid show, great entry to the UC mythos. And like you said, it, it does its job well of being that, that bridge between 0079 you know, the ending of like Zeon's gone, Federation wins, to how did we get to the Titans, you know, uh, in as Zeta Gundam opens. So uh, I think it's successful at that. People can argue about Ko and Nina. I think love story criticisms are probably valid. And yeah, some of the characterizations perhaps are a little dated, particularly Mancha, I think, Isaac. You know, if you notice, we got a lot less Mancha in the back half. Yeah, I guess he's busy just fighting for his life. But <laughs> but yeah, Mancha and the Immortal Fourth team, I, to their discredit, I remember them being not as bad. But man, this time around, now that I'm older, I'm like, wow, these guys should have been court-martialed except for Mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Let us know what you think about all the conspirators. If we, if you think we got one of the conspiracies wrong, let us know. If you think you've got some other um, info that would answer some of our questions, let us know. We'd love to hear it. Definitely, some of the stuff we found is a little old. People talked about this stuff, you know, a long time ago on Mecha Talk. So if you think you've got some better, newer information, throw it out there. Let's let's get it out there and um, let us know what you th- thought about the Mecha designs. Do you want a Master Grade Dendrobium? Uh, how do you feel about this show overall? You know, all these years later, do you do you share Isaac and I's disdain for the fourth team now, looking back? <laughs> or, or you know, or would you be pals with Mancha? You know, I, I don't know. No, you, <laughs> nobody better comment and say they'd be friends with Mancha or the, the blonde guy. Come on. Yeah, I, I hope not. But yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what do you think Ko should do about Nina? Should he take her back? Oh, that's the big question. Yeah. Oh, God, I want to see the the answers for this. I mean, he's there for Nina. He went back there for Nina, right? Do you think he's just there looking for Co- for Keith? Oh, I think they just told him to report to Oakley Base because he's now an active duty uh, member again. Well, <laughs> is Oakley Base where they send everybody they kind of want to sweep under the rug? <laughs> Maybe. It seems like they sent the Albion people there. So Okay. God, there's nothing there except, like, wheat. <laughs> Well, if you notice, like, they put Keith back in a training Gelgoog. Like, I feel like he did a lot of service in this conflict, and he got no credit for it. So That's all you're good for, just training on on Xeonic old machines. (laughs) Give me some test data, Keith. Alrighty, Isaac, take us away. 
All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail the Titans rise. Good night, everybody.